<clears throat> cool. So, yeah, thank you all for sharing. And... I mean, I feel like I heard a couple specific questions come through. Um, Mike's question really resonated about, you know, when you're sitting in meditation and you're breathing and your mind wanders and you breathe out and you're kind of back and you're breathing and you're gone, you breathe out, you're back. So like, what's going on here? Like, this just feels like I'm running in circles. Like, I don't feel like there's, this is called progress. So what's up with that? So that felt like a pretty precise, like meditation question. Um, Mary's question about, you know, feeling like when I'm meditating, I should be doing something more productive or constructive for humanity versus, you know, doing something good for myself, um, which has a whole dynamic around that that one could talk about as well, yeah. Um, and then it seemed like there was then this almost general kind of question about not even a question as much. A lot of you seem like you're just coming here for, you know, we say taking refuge, right? That you're looking for refuge from the storm of your life, that things happened and you just need that place to sit and to process and to just have space to just come back to yourself and to breathe and to say, you know, holy shit, what just happened? And give me a second to kind of just be with that and be with myself and see where I'm in where I'm at within all of that, uh, which honestly is kind of what meditation's about as well. I think every single time I sit down to meditation, uh, you know, things are popping up that I haven't dealt with or things that I need to deal with. And then once I've kind of acknowledged those things, then the mind kind of, okay, and then gives me my space, I guess you could say. Um, so there's a lot of different kind of ways that we can go into this. I think that kind of the majority of you are going to already get what you're looking for just because we're going to meditate. And that's already kind of enough, that you're going to really just be able to sit and drop in and breathe and feel, okay, like a little drop of peace, calm, safety, sanity inside of an otherwise aimless kind of world where we're just kind of floating around and life is happening to us and we're doing our best to navigate. Um, and contentment, it's... You know, I talked about it last time. It's, it's tricky in a way because, you know, I personally found that, okay, so and when we talk about, you know, spiritual, spirituality or spiritual circles, a term that we often hear is letting go. Um, it's like on bumper stickers and things and shirts and like, let it, let it go, letting go, like this whole let it go. It's even like a Disney song, right? Let it go. If anyone wants to sing it, you can. Um, it'll be recorded and played to people all over the world. So this is your Acton's Got Talent moment. Um, <clears throat> when I was on retreat in Germany, I was in my bedroom doing this prostration retreat that I was doing this thousand prostrations and I was alone for three months and just really had nothing but just myself to figure things out for three months and uh, so that was like a big one of those you know that I took three months where I just was silent and had time to process you know 20 years of my life that had happened before that or whatever uh, maybe it was 25 years by that time 
And, um, and I needed those three months. And to be honest, I needed the 10 years in the monastery to do that. So I really feel for all of you. I have a lot of sympathy and empathy for what all of you are going through because I, honest to God, needed 10 years, a, a solid decade of my life to strictly focus on like healing, clearing things up, cleaning things up, understanding myself, understanding my life, building positive habits, letting go of destructive ones, um, getting a more helpful self view, having more direction in what I'm doing, that I really had to take this huge block of time. And it took me 10, I would say 10 solid years. And by the time I finally came back here, um, I felt, okay, now I'm ready to kind of begin life. You know, so I really needed that period. And I don't know that I was necessarily more fucked up than anybody else is. I may have been, but I'm sure you guys would argue with me about that. Um, that I really think that everybody needs that, that we all really need this space and this time. And in our society, that's not really something that's given, right? We're kind of just going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, and it starts in school. Even now, it's starting in kindergarten. They're trying to teach kids second languages and, you know, MCAS and whatnot and all this pressure and stuff that, you know, then you get out of school and you get a job and you do this and you get a family and then you're in debt so you can't stop. You have to keep working and then this and this and it kind of keeps going until a lot of people get depressed so they take medication or drink or play Xbox or get Netflix or whatever and just do something to keep going and they're not really completely happy with life but they don't have a choice and, you know, maybe they kill themselves, maybe not and then they'll eventually die anyway. And that's kind of like this thing that a lot of people are on that a lot of people, and I don't want to make this sound very bleak, but a lot of people are really not fully alive, right? They're not fully there. They're not fully here. Yeah, they're kind of like not in touch with themselves. They haven't really taken time to understand themselves, to connect to their own feelings. Um, they're just kind of products of the society and the culture and all the conditioning they've received, and they just kind of go through their lives like that. And we all do that to some degree also. And the process of waking up, it's slowly realizing what's yours and what's not and what's helpful and what's not and what you actually really think and feel and believe and what you want and don't want and what's good for you and not good for you and slowly starting to implement all of that stuff. And when I was in my room doing these prostrations, I remember that I, at one point, you know, and I went through a lot of stuff as you can imagine. I cried every day for the first month just kind of in my space, just different memories and things coming up and just processing one thing after the other, you know. Kind of like rapid fire therapy session almost with myself and this wooden board on my floor, right? Um, but one thing I remembered was I remembered that when I was a kid, I used to play magic cards, if anyone's ever heard of those. It's like little cards. And um, I knew, somehow I knew where my sister hid her money in her bedroom. It was in this like red France book on her bookshelf. So don't tell her I told you. <laughs> Um, and every now and then I would sneak into her room when she wasn't there and I'd open up the book and I'd pull out a 20 and I'd put the book back, just one 20, and then I'd go and get myself a big pack of magic cards and that would last me for like a month and you know maybe like every month or two or something I would just go and steal one, you know, just, just little enough that it wouldn't be noticed. Um, but stealing nonetheless. And, um, and I was doing my prostrations in the monastery, you know, uh, this must have been then, what, like 18 years later or something. And I remembered this. And I felt guilty about it. I felt not good about it. 
And the whole process of being in the monastery, it's to purify your mind, it's to clear things up, it's to right the wrongs across the boards, really right the wrongs and set yourself in a good direction as well. And this came up and I felt it and I kind of like laughed about it, but then I felt, you know, I still don't feel good about that actually. Even though I was a kid and I didn't know any better, I still stole. And I kind of sat with it for a little bit and then I remembered that, you know, some people had given me donations um, you know, when I went to some ceremonies and stuff, so I had like a little envelope with some money in from donations. And I just took this envelope of money and I wrote my sister's address in New York on it when I was in Germany. And I wrote a letter and it said, you know, sorry, I stole money when we were kids here. And I sent it off. And then I felt, ah, oh, that felt so good. I felt clear, clean, you know, released from that. I was able to let it go. So letting go can mean a couple things. Letting go, ultimately it's actually the same thing, letting go is letting go, but how to get there can mean a couple things. Sometimes you can let things go by just let it go. Yeah, maybe there's somebody walking upstairs and they are talking as they're walking past and your mind suddenly is like, what a inconsiderate jerk, and then you just like, ah, it's not worth it, and you let it go, right? So you just realize the futility of what's going on, and you just let it go. Maybe, however, you've recently had a traumatic life event. Maybe something big has happened. Maybe you're in a state of flux, and all this stuff is happening. Um, maybe there's a conversation you really need to have with somebody, or somebody that's acutely suffering near you and around you. And it comes up, and you say, oh God, that's pretty serious. And then you say, let it go. And you're like, well, I can't because this is important to me. And in those moments, I would say to you then to reflect, well, what can I do to be able to let it go? And you can't say like, you know, when this person is better and happy, then I can let it go. Because I would say, if you make your happiness dependent on somebody else, then you're screwed. Yeah, and I think we've all made that experience. That if you try especially to fix somebody, to get somebody better, to make something better, then I'll be able to relax, you're in for a rough ride. Yeah, because people are out of our control. They're out of their own control often. Look at yourselves, you know, we're completely out of control. Yeah, how often have you tried to, okay, I'm going to meditate every day. It lasts for like a day, and then you don't do it again. Yeah. Well, I'm going to eat better. No, I'm going to go to the gym every day. No. Yeah, I think, yeah, Gandhi, he said, like, I have three people in my life, and they're just the most difficult people. He said, first of all, it's the British government that I'm working against. They're so difficult, but I find ways to talk with them and work through them. And then he said, the next hardest person to deal with, it's the Indian people themselves. They're just so stubborn and stuck in their ways, I can almost do nothing. He said, but really, the hardest person of all these, my arch nemesis, it's the man named Mahatma S. Gandhi. With him, I have almost no effect. <laughs> so we have to really honor ourselves and understand ourselves. And ultimately, this goal of contentment this goal of being able to let go, this goal of being able to be peaceful and enlightened in like a little Buddha sitting here in, in the basement in Acton, you know? That's where we're headed, right? That's our direction. 
I think a lot of us make the mistake that we see the Buddha statue sitting in front of us and we say, okay, that's what I'm trying to be like. That's my um, potential, right? That's where I want to be. So then we sit there and we cross our legs like this and we sit and we're, okay, now I'm going to be the Buddha statue. The Buddha's not moving, I'm not going to move. The Buddha's smiling, I'm going to smile. And we sit there like this and it lasts for a couple seconds and then, oh, my leg hurts. Oh God, what am I doing? This is boring, actually. But am I, is this right? Is this not right? It still hurts. And we kind of try to force ourselves into this thing that we think we're supposed to be, or supposed to be doing. And then we kind of drop out of it because it's too hard. And I just want to remind everybody that it's called a path for a reason. This is a spiritual path. This is a journey. And that journey can look many different ways. So if you, you know, Speaking again from experience, so I was a monk, yeah? So I lived in a monastery. Um, I taught retreats. I was part of a community. I knew like Thich Nhat Hanh and the Dalai Lama and all these people, you know, seen them a lot of times anyway. And like the Dalai Lama like at once like recognized me. He goes, oh, Germany, Germany. And I was like, whoa, the Dalai Lama remembered me. You know? <laughs> um, so, you know, I was like kind of like getting into the crowd, so to say, a little bit. And then one day I was like, you know, I'm going to leave here. And I left and I went to India and I was like, yeah, India, birthplace of Buddhism. This is like where the real practitioners are. This is really the way to do it. Really gritty. You know, I went and lived in a cave for a little while, really kind of went for it. And then I kind of looked around and I said, you know, I'm going to disrobe and stop being a monk. And my reason for doing that was because I felt that that was the next step for me to grow spiritually, was to drop this form, drop these rules, drop all these projections that I was getting from the outside of being like this holy kind of spiritual guy sitting there. You know, I said, I'm gonna just be a normal guy again. And I'm gonna rediscover what that means for me, who I am within that, without this kind of robe and this picture of monk and this concept and being a Sangha member. I said, I'm just gonna be a normal person again. And then I'm really going to see where my spirituality is at. Then I'm really going to see what does it mean to practice. And I'm really going to see who am I? What have I not dealt with? What have I dealt with? If you asked anybody, if you ask a normal person, you know, what's more spiritual? You know, being in a monastery, being a monk in a monastery, or being like a dude with a backwards hat driving around Massachusetts, like going to the gym and, you know, hanging out. You'd probably say the monk in the monastery. The people in the monastery, when I disrobed, oh God, he, you know, he gave up, right? Oh, he, you know, it was too much, he gave up his spiritual life. That from the outside, nobody could understand that what I was doing was actually the way to move forward spiritually. Everyone could only see the forms, their concepts of a monk is a holy special thing and a normal person isn't somehow. So that's the way forward, and this is the way back. But because I knew for myself the way forward, I just did it. And that's actually just how I live my life. I always just do what I feel like I need for myself. And I had to let that go. And it didn't make sense to anybody, but it made sense to me. And that's part of my path. 
So if you again are sitting here and you're seeing that Buddha statue and you're trying to make yourself like that Buddha right now, yeah, and then you sit down and then you start worrying and you start having anxiety and then you'll start getting depressed and then you'll think, oh, you know, it's because it's ridiculous because you're not that, you're this. You're not there, you're here. Yeah, you're a seed and you're trying to be a flower. There's a whole process involved to get from that seed to that flower. And so I just want you all to remember that, that you're in a spiritual process, that you're in a process. And that process takes time, and that process inherently means you're going to go the wrong way a lot. That process also means that you're going to do a lot of things that seem like you're not going in the right direction, but actually you feel like it is going in the right direction. You're going to have to challenge a lot of your beliefs, a lot of the beliefs of the people around you, your family, your friends, your partners. It's really a whole process of reevaluating re everything that you know, reexamining everything from the ground up. And anything that's not dealt with, you're going to feel that as a form of suffering. It's going to put pressure on you, and you're going to be forced to deal with it. And if you don't deal with it, that pressure is going to get worse and worse and worse and worse until either you get sick or the universe gives you the frying pan, as they say. Yeah? The universe is like, I've told you to change. You're not changing. Okay. There you go. So what I want to kind of say through a lot of this is, A, I just want everyone to just take it easier on themselves. Yeah, because I do actually feel a lot of devotion in this group, as much as a lot of people like say they don't practice enough maybe, but there is actually a lot of devotion in this group as well. And if you're trying to meditate and you're sitting there and suddenly you see, oh my God, I feel guilty because I'm taking all this time to sit here by myself and do nothing, and there's like real things that are needed to do in the world, you know, I, am I now like, does that mean like I'm a bad meditator or that's not going to work for me? Or does that mean I should be out there doing like a help program and not be meditating? Should my practice be an active, you know, running an orphanage in, in India or something? Like, should that be my, my meditation? And I would say, well, that's something for, for you to look at. And it's for you to look at and say, why do I feel guilty when I'm doing something nice and good for myself? Don't I deserve that? Don't I suffer too? Aren't I also my responsibility? Can I save the world? Is there a difference I can make? How do those things balance? Because if I try to help others too much, I'm going to burn myself out. A lot of people fall into that category. Yeah, that they're always trying to be there for others, always trying to help others. And then they burn out. And then they're also upset and frustrated and like, well, why doesn't anybody ever care about me? I do everything for everybody else. Why isn't anybody ever there for me? And it's like, well, you're not there for yourself, so what do you expect? You're supposed to be there for you. You know, so it's really looking at, for instance, like one of those mechanisms and seeing, so what do I really want to do with this? What does it mean? Is this feeling correct or not? Is this guilt correct or not? And really examining and feeling what is my actual you know, priority of being here. What is the agreement that I made with my soul coming into this birth? Like, why am I here? What is this about for me? And figuring that out, for instance. I also knew, like, my father, he was diagnosed with ALS um, 
like a year and a half ago. And he just passed away in November. And I remember when I first got the news, I was kind of at home and I heard this and kind of went and saw my parents and heard everything and really felt into the situation. And my God, right, that's so hard. And talk about being on a ship going out to sea. You're like on a motorboat going out, you know, you're, you're zipping out to sea, you know, to hit that iceberg, you know exactly what's coming. And I remember just being home and I was lying in bed and I was up and I couldn't sleep and I was just thinking about it and I was worrying and just felt so bad for him and I was just kind of holding this space and I just kind of stopped and I kind of dropped in with myself and I reflected and I said, you know what, Seth? Carrying this with him is not the equivalent of loving him. Lying all night in bed, worrying, is not helping anything or anybody. And that's not love. And then I tried to let it go, but then I felt guilty. Because I felt like I was abandoning him when he needed me. And I said, Seth, you'll be there for him when you can be there for him. And when you're not there for him, you have to be there for yourself. And it felt very healthy. It felt like a very healthy emotional boundary to say, I'll love you and I'm here for you and I'm doing things for you as much as I can, but I'm not gonna carry the weight of the situation with me all day long because that's gonna kill me. That's gonna take all of my energy, that's gonna make me heavy, that's gonna make me miserable, that's gonna hurt me. I don't think you, he wanted me to feel hurt by that. And I had to change my relationship and I had to set him out of my mind. When I wasn't with him, I had to set him out of my mind. And I would check in and I would call and then I would set him out of my mind. And I had to start learning how to make these boundaries. And not to feel guilty, to say, no, this is self-love. I need to love myself too. Yeah, I can't be carrying somebody else because karma is also real. We are also a product of a lot of things that we have done in a lot of different situations. And I'm not saying abandon people to their own karma, but also know that there are some things that we each, each of us has to carry. Each one of us in this room is carrying a karmic weight that nobody else can help us with. Every single one of us is carrying our own karmic weight, and we will carry that weight alone. Was it like every man has his mountain? Is that the saying also about that? Every woman as well, right? So it's that we each carry a certain kind of karmic weight that nobody is ever going to be able to help us with. Because that is our load to bear. That is our portion of suffering in this lifetime that belongs to us. Happiness and suffering, pleasure and pain, these are all real. They're all present in this life. So we all have to carry our happiness, we all have to carry our pain. We can do our best to help each other, we can be there to support each other, we can give people things, we can love people, but there also comes a point where we have to allow people to carry their own pain. And to not weigh ourselves down by trying to bear the weight of the world. Because then you're just gonna get crushed, because the world is heavy. So there's ways like this also of letting go, where you say, my relationship to this is when I can be active, I will be active. When I can do something, I will do something. Yeah, and when I can't, then I will let it go. 
think there was like one of the popes. Um, oh man, I wish I remembered who this was. He was like quoted as saying every night, like when he went to bed every night, he would say, you know, get to bed and say like, like Lord, I have served you today. I've given everything to the church and done my best. Um, but for now, it's in your hands. I'm taking a break. <laughs> you know, he would go to bed and be like, you know, he had to make those very clear lines that say, like, yeah, I'm doing what I can, I'm doing my best, and now I'm taking a break. Now I need to refill, I need to replenish, I need to be there for myself. Yeah, and that's a good way also to start finding contentment and not feeling like you're heartless or not feeling like you're lying to yourself, right? How to be content in the eye of the storm, because that's also not what I'm saying, right? If, you're, if I was sitting here meditating and the little child fell over and they hit their head and they started crying, I wouldn't just say, like, just sounds, keep breathing. <laughs> breathing in, the child is crying. Breathing out, I smile at the child. No, I would stand up and go help the child, of course. Of course, right? And that's what I mean. It's, it's, not, it's not forcing some kind of an ideal onto ourselves either. Because contentment could also mean just being present with the situation as it is. Actually, that's all that contentment is. Right? So, you know, when I'm having an argument with my partner, I don't wish that I was in another place. I'm sitting there and I say, okay, let's go through this together. Maybe I'll get some clarity. Maybe she'll get some clarity. Maybe something will come of this. Even if not, it doesn't matter. This is happening. Let's go through it. Yeah, I don't wish I wasn't there. I just say, okay, this is discomforting. This is not not pleasurable. But it's here, so I'm going to go through it until it's done, whatever that means. Yeah, and that's kind of the other part of it, like when you're sitting in traffic. You know, it kind of sucks. You don't really want to be there. You want to be at the other place, but also there's nothing you can really do. So how in that moment can I just be content? How in that moment can I accept that, okay, I don't really want to be here, but I am here, and I can't go any faster. There's a car in front of me. So what's that balance between still doing your best to get out of here and drive, but also really just be present in the situation? And this comes into the whole um, kind of world of, of expectations and, and disappointments and projections. And when I lived in Germany, my favorite word, I would say, one of my favorite words anyway, um, was their word for disappointments. And the word in German, it's Enttäuschung. It's the word for disappointment. And Germany, it's an interesting language. All of the words are a combination of other words put together, a lot of them. And you can build words on words endlessly. So I was in a church, and there was a piano. And on top of the piano was this long stick. And I looked at the stick, and there was a little label on it with a word across it. And I was like, what is this? And I read it. And it said, Runtergefallen Bleistift von unter der Orgel Pedal Rausholenstock, as one word. What that translates to is under fallen pen that rolled under the organ pedal out pulling stick. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of a joke, but at the same time, that's what you can do in German. Is you can, as long as you're just describing the same word, you you can keep building and building and building to keep describing the object in detail. Yeah. So my favorite word, besides that one, maybe, 
um, is this word in toishong, which is disappointment. Toishong means illusion or delusion. A toishong, it's an illusion. The magician, a toishong, make an illusion. Ent, the word ent, ent toishong. Ent, so the word to discover, is to ent deken. A deken is a blanket. So if you can imagine somebody pulling a blanket off of something and you're discovering it, right? You're ent decon. So you're taking the blanket and you're ent, you're pulling it off. Yeah? So the word ent toishong, it's that same action as that you're removing the illusion, you're removing the delusion from something. So every time you're disappointed, right? I planned a picnic and I go out and it's raining and I feel angry and disappointed, the German word for it is actually saying, ah, the illusion has been removed. What is the illusion? My expectation that it was going to be a nice day for a picnic. Actually, every time you're disappointed, all you're getting is a reality check from the universe saying, you had an expectation that you were projecting onto the situation, and you didn't get it and now you're pissed, and that's your fault. Yeah, if you look at it that way, you really, wow, you really have to own it. Because you see, the only problem is that I wanted, I projected, I expected something that didn't happen. The problem isn't with the rain, the problem is that you, what is it, man plans and God laughs? I think that's the saying. Yeah, that you put something out there and it was another way. And one of the definitions of suffering that I heard is expecting something from life that it cannot give you. Yeah, think about how simple that explanation is. Wanting something from life that it's not giving you. That's kind of it in a nutshell. I have pain and I don't want the pain. Suffering. Something happened in my life and it threw me up in the air. Suffering. I have a child, somebody who's struggling near me. Suffering. Yeah, I can't figure out what to do with my own mind. Suffering. Yeah, anything that's a way and we want it to be different, that is the recipe for suffering. And so this whole understanding of contentment and also letting go, so I'm bringing in this letting go in this talk today, it's also really learning how can I make peace with the world, but how can I do that with wisdom? Yeah, so I'm not sitting here when that baby's crying on the floor, I'm helping them because that's my way of making peace and letting go in that moment. But also, I'm sitting here, and there's somebody that I know that's suffering out there somewhere, and I'm in here, and I can't do anything about them, and I love them, and I pray for them, and I hope that they're well. And also, I need to let them go so I can find some peace of mind for myself for a little bit to fill up, that I can find my ground and my balance to be able to help them, even. So going through that process of kind of understanding and learning and gaining wisdom, and wisdom comes through looking at things clearly, through investigation, through repetition. And this also brings us back to that meditation question, right? It's like if you're breathing and your mind's out there and you're breathing out and you're back and your mind's out there and you're back and you're like, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm just, it's going in circles. Nothing's happening. What I would say to you, first of all, is wrong. What is it? How our esteemed president always says? Yeah. Wrong. <laughs> wrong. Yeah. Every time you're going through that, even the fact that you're saying to me right now, I notice that my mind is going and coming, going and coming, I would say, that's a realization. 
That's already progress. Oh, I see how my mind works. I see, I've been watching my mind coming and going. I've been seeing how it does that already. Oh, you've just brought awareness to a movement of the mind. You've just brought awareness to your pattern, to your mechanisms. Yeah. The next point of that would be to start investigating a little bit. What kind of things am I thinking about? Why? What is it that's not allowing me just to be here? What doesn't feel good in this moment? To also look at it a little bit. What's going, what is actually going on here? And I could say for myself, oftentimes when my mind was going off, when I was meditating, I'll tell you a, a little secret, Mike Collins. A little secret. When I sit down to meditate right now, right, we'll meditate for the rest of the class, whatever. Yeah, when I sit down to meditate, guess what happens? My mind goes, whoop. I'll be sitting here, I'll breathe. Ah, this is nice. And then I'll think about what's going on at home. Yeah, that this thought will come, what's going on at home, and then the mind returns. And when the mind returns, I sit and I smile and I breathe. <coughs> and it's nice. And then something that happened today comes up, I remember it. And then I sit and smile and breathe. And the next thing, and then I sit and smile and breathe. And what starts happening is the sitting, smiling, and breathing starts to feel really nice and good. I'm not trying to stop the thoughts. I don't care. Go ahead, mind. Think all you want. Go for it. That's not my focus. It's not my attention. I've told the story a lot that in our monastery, there's train tracks that ran outside of the monastery. And every time a train would go by, while we were meditating, one of the nuns would go up and start closing all the windows in the meditation hall. And there's like a huge row of windows. And every time I'd think, what a stupid thing that is to do. The train's already gone. <laughs> and that's really how I practice meditation as well, is that I let the thoughts come and go. Let them come. Who cares? Don't give them your attention. If you're giving your attention to your thoughts, your thoughts are getting stronger. You're creating aversion to your thoughts. You don't want your thoughts. You want wisdom. You want to understand. You want to figure out. You're still in the world of wanting and not wanting and expectations. That's not meditation. Wanting it to be different, wanting something to happen, that is not meditation. Meditation is being present. Meditation, it's about investigating, understanding what's going on. Having no preference, just understanding, looking. Finding what is the way through. Yeah, it's not about like wanting it, manhandling it in the direction that I want it to go. That's what we're doing all day long. That's why we're here, is because that doesn't work. Because it's exhausting to try to control everything. It doesn't work. Is investigating thinking? Investigating can be thinking. There are thoughts that lead to the end of thoughts. Just like there are words that lead to silence. There are actions that lead to stillness. Thoughts aren't bad. But when I say investigating, I'm sitting here smiling. My mind goes, it goes away and I come back. And I bring my mind back to this present moment. And I feel into it and I look around. And I feel, where does it feel nice? Oh, my smile feels nice. The ground feels nice under my feet, feels nice to relax. These are the things that feel nice, this gratitude that we were talking about. Very wholesome mind factor, gratitude, cements the mind into the moment, grounds you when you feel grateful. You're very present when you're grateful. Something feels good, you're very present. So when I investigate, I feel into what are the things that feel good right now? 
How, what feels nice? What feels relaxing? What feels peaceful? Ah, oh, it's just like a peaceful space. Let me breathe and feel that peaceful space. Let that peaceful space wash over me. Yeah, then the mind goes off, comes back. Ah, relaxing, smiling, being. Every time I come back, feeling. And this is kind of where it gets tricky for some of us, is because meditation, it's a process of feeling. Yeah, you're not sitting here thinking about it. You feel it. What feels good? What feels peaceful? What feels relaxing? It's a feeling, a felt process. Yeah, there's intention behind the feeling, but it's a feeling process. It feels good. And eventually, when it starts to feel better and better, the mind would rather stay here. The mind would rather stay here with what's going on. You're building up karma. You're building up momentum for the mind to stay here. It's investigating. It's like, ooh, this feels good going into it. Dropping in. Wow, this feels nice. Starting to move into it. If you notice, for instance, like that every time you sit, you feel guilty. Investigation, right? Then you look at that and you're like, okay, listen. Every time I sit, I feel guilty because I think I should be doing something else. What the hell? Yeah? Where, what, what is that? Do I even agree with that? Let me sit and look at this. Maybe I need to journal it. Yeah, what is this? Is this from my mom? What is this? Do I agree? Is this true? Is this not true? What's going on? What is my relationship? Look at it, investigate it, work with it, play with it. Yeah, I would say outside of the meditation. In the meditation, acknowledge, but feel. Feel into the things that you want. Whatever you focus on, that's what gets stronger. And it might not happen right away, yeah? But if you're focusing on the space, right? They say if you look around this room, what is this room comprised of? You'd see people in chairs and a piano and stuff. This room is about 98, 99% empty space, yeah? So stop focusing on the things in the space and focus on the space. If you're sitting in this room and you're feeling the space, somebody will walk in and they'll go to the bathroom. And then they'll walk out and go back upstairs. And it doesn't phase you because you're still with the space. Let a whole group of kids come in this room and start having a party. You're still with the space. And that's like what's happening in the mind, is that you'll be sitting here. Don't look at it as like a 50-50, like my mind's either thinking or it's not. I would say that your mind is space. And things will come into that space, and things will go out of that space. Doesn't matter. Don't give that any attention. You'll notice it coming, and then it'll be gone, and then you're back here. You'll notice it coming, and then it'll be gone, and you're back here. Things will be coming, and you'll be back, and then they'll be going, you're back. Each time that passes, and you're back, you're back, you're back, you're back. But eventually, you'll keep making contact with the space, and that space becomes the new constant. That becomes the new thing that's here. In our daily lives, it's the thinking. That because we're thinking, we pay attention to that, and the moment there's a space in our thoughts, we think of something else to think about. So our thinking becomes the constant, and the space is like the thing around the edges. It's like a movie. You're focused on the character all the time, and if there's like a shift in the scenes, that's like the thing like in between, and you're just waiting for the character to do something again. Yeah, that's how we live our lives. We're so focused on the, the thoughts, the actions, the doings. Yeah. That when we come into this space, it's like, what, what gives? What's going on? Yeah, so in the meditation, you're shifting the focus. It's not about the character. It's not about the thing, the thoughts, what's going on in the middle. It's about the space. Focusing on the space in between the breaths, the silence in the room, the space between the thoughts. 
that actually this is all space with things coming and going from it. Yeah? Space is our friend. Let's say it like that. So with that, I think we should meditate before I talk us at, till the end of class. Um, would it be okay with everybody if we meditate till 8.10, just because we started 10 minutes late, so we can meditate 10 minutes late? Is that okay? Yeah. If there's anybody that has to go at 8 on the dot, you are allowed to leave as well, so you're free to go if you have to. Um, but we will meditate that until 8.10 to have enough time.